Good morning, church. How are y'all doing? Please open your Bibles uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're using your pew Bibles, that's page 1053. If you've been with us, you'll notice that uh, we're not doing 1 Timothy 5. Uh, Pastor Sean left off in 1 Timothy 4. He finished 1 Timothy 4. And I'll be preaching 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 5 really covers, the first half is basically what deacons do, supporting widows. And the second half is on how the church is to honor their elders. Uh, Pastor Sean really covered a lot of this in chapters 2 and 3 on what deacons and elders do. So we decided to go ahead and move to chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 10. That's what we're going to be covering today. What a blessing it is to, to preach God's word. I, I love to preach. I'm glad that they, they threw me a bone on my birthday while Sean's on vacation. I'm tremendously blessed, and we are blessed as a congregation to have the freedom to open uh, God's word and hear from it this morning. So if you have your eyes there, starting in verse 3, let's go ahead and read the text together. This is the word of the Lord. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreements among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish, harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have walked away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Lord, be with your servant. Help me to to preach your word rightly. Um, Open all of our hearts uh, wide open to receive your word Lord, would you show us the meaning of sound doctrine, of good doctrine, faithful teaching. Show us the meaning, Lord. Help us to see uh, what we should look for and what we should be wary of. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So this section, as you probably caught on, is, is on sound doctrine. Paul is warning the church concerning false teachers He's challenging not only the teaching of the false teachers, but also their lifestyle and their character. Paul instructs the church here on the real meaning of sound doctrine. See, sound doctrine is not just about good content, though we may primarily think about it in this way. Sound doctrine is meant to to bring about a life that reflects Christ-likeness. It's meant to bring about a life that loves Jesus for who he is, not what he can get us. You see, I've been on a journey for a while these these last several years as I've seen so many uh, men that I perceive to be godly teachers 
sound in the truth, sound in the faith, and they've, they've fallen into sin. They've had these devastating fallings. It, fallings. it seems to happen every, every so months now. We see someone, uh, a leader, a speaker, a teacher, a pastor, a professor, somebody falling from grace, falling deep into sin, ruining their own lives, devastating a church. And I've been on this journey to, as God has been opening my eyes over the past several years to see that sound doctrine is not just about good content, it's about a godly life. I'll never forget one of the, one of the guys that was most impactful for me in my college years. I'm not going to mention his name, he's a, he's a pastor, he's a tr- tremendously gifted leader and, and, and preacher. And he was my favorite person to listen to. Whenever I would need a word, you know, I would, I would get on, listen to a podcast, listen to a sermon. But I'll never forget one time I was, I was at a restaurant, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings, and I was just scrolling through Twitter while I was ra- waiting for my food, and I, and, I, and I saw a tweet by him. And it was this open letter where he begins to basically confess that he had been in an extramarital affair for decades i never forget, I was just so devastated. I was like, if, if, if it wasn't going to, how could it be him? I just didn't, I didn't make sense to me how he could be uh, such an amazingly gifted speaker, how he could speak the truth. His doctrine danced in the pulpit. But yet he had been living in sin for decades. How could this be? And, I, and that kind of set me off on this journey to begin to see the real meaning of sound doctrine. Point, point number one this morning is that sound doctrine presents Christ. Look with me again in verse three. It says, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, it goes on to say he's conceited and he understands nothing. So the first thing we need to see this morning is that sound doctrine is about content. And it should be about the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says if they don't agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're conceited and they, they don't know what they're talking about. They understand nothing. When we see this phrase, the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul here is not just talking about the red letters in your Bible. He's not just talking about the words that Jesus said while he was on earth. He's talking about the entirety of Scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture has the authority of Christ. And ultimately, what we need to see is that all scripture is about Christ. Paul is calling out these false teachers because they had distorted the meaning of scripture. They were using it for their own ends. And it was wreaking havoc in the church. See, healthy teaching is Christ-centered. When I was in seminary, I graded for uh, one of our professors. He was a professor of preaching. I'd known him from college. I kind of followed him to, to North Carolina to study under him, to grade for him. And I was studying, or I was grading for the college students, and uh, a lot of what I graded was sermons. The, the students in his class would have to write three different sermons over the course of the semester. They would preach one in front of the class. So I got a, a lot of uh, experience grading these uh, sermons from these undergraduate students. What I noticed over and over again was there were some trends, and they weren't good trends. What I saw was a lot of moralism, a lot of be a better person. I saw a lot of motivational speaking and not a lot of gospel. 
I saw a lot of messages primarily from the Old Testament that were entirely Christless. Be like Moses, be like Daniel, be like Joseph. That's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is not be like Joseph, be like Daniel, be like Moses. The point of the Bible is that all of these men fall short. Daniel, Solomon, they all fall short. And at their best, they point us to Christ. And I begin to see that, you know, the problem is not necessarily with these students. I begin to ask myself, where are these undergraduates getting this? Where are they getting their bad interpretation of Scripture? Where are they getting their Christless interpretation of Scripture? And it dawned on me, this is what they're getting their whole lives in their church. It's because their pulpits are filled with pastors who preach Christless sermons. Try harder, be a better person, keep pressing on, be like Moses. That doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help anyone. We are transformed when we see Christ in the Scriptures. We want to see Christ in all of the scriptures. There's a quote by Mike Cosper. He says this, We can judge the faithfulness of Bible teaching, including our own, by this simple question. Who's the hero of the story? If it's anyone or anything but Jesus, we've missed the point. All of the Bible is Christian scripture. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's about Christ. We want to see Christ, right? It's what we judge the, the worth of the songs that we sing. Is Christ there? Is it bringing glory to Christ? Does it speak to Christ? Does it lift our eyes to Christ? We should judge the faithfulness of sermons by the same measure. Does it talk about Christ? Does it point us to Christ? You see, he's the garments of skin that covered Adam and Eve in their nakedness and shame. That's what Christ does for us. He's the ram that was provided to take Isaac's place. He was the rock that was struck in the wilderness that brought life-giving water out. He's the snake lifted up on the pole for the healing of those who would look to him. He's the true and better Adam, the prophet Moses told us to look for. He's the better Joshua to lead us into the promised land. He's the true tabernacle and temple where God and man would actually fellowship. He's the son of David, yet David's Lord. He's the better Solomon, the one who would bring life-giving knowledge and wisdom. He's the one the prophets predicted. He's the true and better Israel, the son of God who would actually be a light to the nations. We want to see Christ. Show us Christ. Healthy teaching is Christ-centered. Amen? So not only does the sound doctrine present Christ, Sound doctrine also promotes godliness. That's, the, that's our second point. Sound doctrine promotes godliness. Look at the second part of verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and listen to this, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. Ask yourself, when you hear the word false teacher, false doctrine, don't we all think of its content? We do. We think of prosperity gospel. We think of word of faith movements. We think of all the errors, and that, that's right. That's certainly part of it. It's natural to think that way, but, but I would submit to you that that's a little simplistic. You see, 
False doctrine runs much deeper than that. It's not just about the content, but the character. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, if I can prophesy, if I have faith to move a mountain, if I give up my body to be burned but don't have love, he says, I am nothing and I gain nothing. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is chastising the Corinthian church because they valued the wrong thing. They were valuing charisma in their speakers, giftedness in their speakers, and they didn't give a rip about their character. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. For you being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone exploits you, if someone takes advantage of you, if someone is arrogant towards you, if someone slaps you in the face. I say this to our shame. Paul wants the Corinthians, he wanted the... Corinthians to stop being so enamored with giftedness, with charisma, while they didn't care about character. Paul's saying, look at how they came to you. They exploit you. They take advantage of you. They're arrogant. He says, but look at how I came to you. I came to you in weakness, in trembling, in humility. I preached the word of God to you with tears, he says. We've got to have a mindset that shifts from only caring about content and doesn't care about character. You see, if our favorite speakers, our favorite Bible teachers or preachers are those who consistently attack other people, who rip them to shreds in order to expose their errors, check yourself. That is not the teaching that promotes godliness. Does our teaching promote godliness? The false teachers, it certainly didn't. Look what it promoted in verse 4. It says, from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement over people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. It wasn't love, and it didn't produce godliness. It led to division. It led to backbiting, slander, Envy, jealousy, that's what it led to. That's the opposite of what the gospel does, guys. The gospel brings people together, amen? The gospel tears down walls. What false teaching does is it builds up walls. It separates genuine Christians from other genuine Christians. How dare we destroy one another? How dare we slander another Christian whom God died for? We can have legitimate disagreements without ripping other Christians to shreds. Don't listen to teachers like that. He says that they're conceited and they don't understand anything. They argue over words. You see, teachers like that, they do know a great many things. Let's make that clear. They know a lot of facts. They may know their Bibles well. But what Paul is saying is they don't understand healthy doctrine. He says they understand nothing because they neither teach it or live it. I believe what the purpose of this scripture would do for us, church, is that it would reorient our vision, reorient our values, the things that we look for in our teachers, the things that we teach ourselves, the type of teaching that we value, it's got to be shifted. It's got to be reoriented. Whereas we would want to separate godly living from sound doctrine, this passage tells us we cannot do that. We can't. You see, there's a reason why 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for pastors and deacons, there's a reason why they're nearly all about the character. 
Only one is about giftedness for pastors, and that's that he'd be able to teach. But Paul wants the church to, to value the right things in their leaders. Look at their character. Look at their godliness. Guys, and I am just as guilty of this, we so often do not value the right things. We want giftedness. We want leadership. We want charisma. We want a strong man. We want teaching that moves us. May we not be like Israel, who wanted Saul. They wanted a king like the other nations. Says he was impressive. 1 Samuel 9 says he was very impressive. Came from a prominent Benjaminite family. Stood a head and shoulders above everybody else. But he was a train wreck of a man. Led Israel into sin. May we not be like that. See, Paul sent Timothy to the church not only to correct false teaching, but to tell the church what to look for so that we might value the right things. One application I think this has for our church and for American Christianity in general is that celebrity Christian culture has got to go. It's not healthy and it doesn't help us. We platform so often people that we don't know we put them on a pedestal. We elevate them because of their gifts. And then we're, we're surprised when they fall. Maybe, maybe learn from the downfalls of all these men. Jimmy Swaggart, Artaxerdia, James McDonald, Mark Driscoll. I could go on and on and on. Don't put too much stock in men you do not know. Celebrity pastors, speakers, professors, if you don't know them, you don't know their character. Look to those who God has given you in your local church. Examine our character. Do we pass the test? So we've seen, guys, that sound doctrine both centers on Christ, amen, and that it promotes godly character. Look with me now uh, to verses 5 and 6, the end of verse 5. The end of verse 5, Paul says that these false teachers says they imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Again, he's not focused on their content. He's focused on their character. He's focused on their motivations. These false teachers, he's not calling out what they were or were not teaching. He's calling out that their teaching, their ministries, they saw it as a way to material gain. They saw godliness. They saw Christianity. They saw Christ as simply as a means to an end, to get them what they want. We, we have a label for this nowadays, and it's called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is not new to our age. It's always been. It's always been around. Judas was stealing from uh, Jesus' ministry. He was stealing all along the way. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied and asked about the donation that they gave so that they could gain reputation. The Holy Spirit put them to death. Simon the magician, he thought he could buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.7, he said, we don't market the word of God for profit like so many do. This has always been happening. People have always been using Christ to get what they want. The prosperity gospel in our days and in our circles especially has gotten a lot of attention. It's been called out for the, 
demonic lie that it is, and rightly so. I would recommend a documentary to you, American Gospel, on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's a great documentary kind of exposing this strand of teaching. And while this prosperity gospel is so wrong, if we just leave it there, we miss the point. It's not just those who would use Christianity or Christ as a way to get rich that, that Paul is calling out. He's calling out anyone who would see Christ as a means to an end. I think about those who walk an aisle because they want to go to heaven. They don't care about Christ. That was me. I did that at one point. I just wanted to go to heaven. I wanted what Christ could get me. Maybe it's the comfort. Maybe it's the community of the faith. I don't know, but if, it, if you're using Christ to get something else, then Christ isn't your God. That thing is. Christ is everything. Christ is not a means to an end. Christ is the end. He's the goal. He's the prize. We want him, not what he can give us. Let's look at verses six through eight. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. What Paul is telling us is that sound doctrine produces contentment. Contentment in this life is our aim. Verse 7 is really the, the old proverb, you can't take it with you. Job had it right when he said, naked I came from the dust and naked I shall return. Paul encourages us to be content with food and clothing, the necessities in life. Unless we get confused, let me make this just very clear. Contentment is not the same thing as comfort. Here's the difference. Contentment is not dependent upon circumstances. Comfort is dependent upon circumstances. You see, I don't think we in this church, for the most part, I could be wrong, but my guess is that those in this church, we do not struggle with the desire to, to be loaded. To, to become millionaires. We, we pretty much embrace that that's not going to happen. But we will struggle with is a desire for security, a desire for comfort, and a desire for convenience. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I've learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. And then that leads him to verse 13, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the meaning of the verse. You can't leap over tall buildings in a single bound. But what Paul is talking about is that he is able to be content in any and every circumstance because he has Christ. Because Christ lives in him. Contentment, guys, is not given to us. Hear me. Contentment is not given. We can pray for it all we want. It's not given, it's learned. Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content in any and every circumstance. It's something that you pick up over time by the working of God's spirit in you. As we live, he begins to teach us that he is enough for us. He works in the everyday movements of our lives, the trials that we face. He works by his spirit to convince us 
that he is all that we need. Christ is our daily bread, and we need to learn that he is all we need. This leads us to the last two verses of our text. Read with me verse 9 and 10. Paul says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation. A trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I just want to be very clear about this because it's easy to miss it. Paul is not talking to the rich here. He does that later, the end of chapter 6. He has three verses where he talks to the Christian rich. He's not talking to the rich here. Look at it. He's talking to those who want to be rich. Those who love money. Those who crave it. That can be the rich. That can be those in poverty. It's anyone who wants it so badly that they'll do anything for it. It's a matter of wanting It's a matter of loving. It's a matter of desire. It's a matter of craving. In other words, it's really not about money at all. It's about our heart. There's an early Christian. His name was Augustine. You You may have heard of him. He has this really great metaphor for the danger of this sort of desiring and craving. I was reading Augustine, and he said, think about predators, Predators, when they devour their prey, they gorge themselves, but then they're full. They stop eating. They don't start eating again until they're hungry, and then they go on the prowl again. But in our sin, in our wickedness, we're, we're actually worse off than beasts, because our appetite is insatiable. We gorge, and we gorge, and we gorge, and we cannot be filled by these material things. Our sin actually makes us less human and worse off than beasts. It's a matter of the heart, not of stuff. The question each and every one of us needs to ask in this room this morning is who or what do you love above all else? If it's not Jesus, just look at the consequences. Paul could not have said it any stronger, and I mean that. Look at what he says. He says they fall into temptation. He calls it a trap. He says there are many harmful and foolish desires plunge people into ruin and destruction. That word plunge, it literally means to be drowned. Our sinful desires take us to a point. We're tempted, we fall into a trap, and then in that trap, we're plunged under the waters. Drowned by our own desires. At the end of verse 10, he says, many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. That word pierce, it means to impale. When we want other things besides Jesus, we're hurting ourselves. We're killing ourselves. We're running ourselves through with grief. He could not say it any stronger. To want something more than Jesus is to destroy yourself. This is the danger of disordered desire. I think about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 who comes to Jesus and he he thinks he's justified before the law. He thinks he's kept the law perfectly. And Jesus looks at him, sees the problem right away, which is his heart, simply tells him to go and sell all that he has and give to the poor. 
And what does it say that this man did? It says he went away grieving, sorrowful, for he had many possessions. Problem wasn't his stuff. The problem wasn't his possessions. It was that he loved it more than the Son of God in the flesh right before his eyes and was willing to walk away grieving. May we not do that this morning. If there's anyone here who has not trusted in Jesus, he's here this morning. Don't turn away from him. Don't walk away from this Savior. You're killing yourselves by wanting other things. Turn to him and be saved. True Christianity always takes us below the surface level. It takes us to the the level of the heart to ask us the question, who or what do we love above all else? May our answer be Christ above all. Amen. So a a few words in conclusion. Number one, sound doctrine presents Christ. If we're not looking for him, if we're not teaching about him, if we're not singing about him, if we're not hearing, preaching about him, it's in vain. We've gathered in vain. We want to see Christ. We want to worship Christ. Christless Christless services may give us a great deal of information, but there will be no transformation. Because it's as we behold the image of Christ that the Spirit uses that to transform us into the same image, Jesus Christ. Number two, sound doctrine promotes godliness. If our doctrine, if our theology, if our teaching isn't producing godliness, it is worse than worthless. It's harmful. Let's be people who value the right things, who look for the right things. May we never be people who value gifting over character over godliness. Lastly, sound doctrine produces contentment. Jesus is more than enough to evoke C.S. Lewis. He diagnosed our problem as not that we wanted too much, but that we want too little. We settle for lesser things when we love created things more than we love God. The problem is not that our desires are too high, it's that we've, we've set the bar too low. Jesus is everything. In him is true life, true pleasure, true joy, everlasting joy. So I ask again in closing, who do you love? If you're here today as a believer, as a Christian, you've trusted him, maybe you've wandered away from Christ above all, Christ in your teaching, Christ in your character, content with Christ above all. May we return to the love that we had at first, as Revelation chapter 2 tells the Ephesian church. Let's return to our first love this morning. Maybe you're here and you're an unbeliever. You've never trusted in Christ. Repent before it is everlastingly too late. Don't be plunged into ruin and destruction. Don't pierce yourself. Don't wander away into grief. Trust the only one who can save you, who's loved your heart to the point of death on a cross. Trust and believe in and follow the victorious one who conquered death and continues to call you to follow him.
May that be, may that happen to you this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Uh, Help us to be wary of false doctrine in all of its forms, not just the content, but in, in the character and what it leads to. Lord, may we be a church. Would we be a people that, that values the right things, that our, our, our minds, our eyes, our hearts, our bodies are oriented rightly to where we are looking for you, where we're valuing you above all else. Lord, again, if there's anyone here who does not know you, would you do a work that only you can do in their heart right now? Convince them of their sin, of their lostness, Show them their need for you, and then, God, would you save them? Would you, would you save as only you can do? Thank you for this opportunity to worship you uh, through your word this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.